Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So good to be with you. And today our topic is staying grounded when the ground keeps moving. And how do we remain grounded when things around us just keep shifting uh, so rapidly? We are in the midst of uh, another wave of COVID-19. These are very disorienting days. Uh, we are at the end of year two, going into year three. Uh, I've been talking to pastors from around the country and uh, repeatedly hearing uh, a similar refrain of discouragement, uh, exhaustion, tiredness, a bit of bewilderment. I mean, the changes that are happening uh, in the church and the economy and the workplace and the wider culture and relationships, it's dizzying. And it very much feels like the ground is moving under our feet. But when we consider uh, the world and world history uh, and current events, even in our generation, this isn't anything that new. Uh, Just think of the wars in Syria and Iraq, for example, or the political turmoil in places like Haiti and world wars in uh, Asia and Europe, North Africa, the fall of Rome and other empires. Uh, over the last couple of thousand years. And let me share with you that I believe we're very much in a sacred time and a sacred space as the church. In fact, that you're in a sacred time and a sacred space in this season in which we find ourselves under great pressure. And the word there in Greek is thalipsis, you know, pressure, great pressure. It's found uh, throughout the New Testament, but especially in the book of Revelation. And there are two invitations uh, that I believe God has for us uh, in these days. The first is to become like a dead man or woman. Uh, And I'm going to share with you a famous story uh, from one of the Desert Fathers. Uh, I think there's some parallel for us today. The second invitation is to stay at your post. And I'm going to ground that invitation from the book of Revelation. Uh, Again, getting a long-term, larger perspective Uh, of what God might be doing so that we remain steadfast and firm, not growing discouraged. So let's go with the first of those two invitations of how do we stay grounded when the ground is moving beneath us. Uh, That comes out of the desert fathers and mothers who were in the second, third, and fourth centuries. Uh, These men and women from North Africa in particular made a response to the dominant culture that had become so worldly, both inside the church and outside the church, that they fled to the deserts uh, in Egypt initially uh, to get to God, to get cleansed of the idols in their own heart and the culture, uh, and so they could uh, have a life raft to share, a life rope to share with the church as a whole. And they were following the ancient path of Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, uh, etc. And they they learned what was called a holy indifference or getting into a place of deep freedom. Apatheia was the word in the original Greek, which refers to indifference to unimportant things. And I think that's the invitation for us today. Let me share out of a story that comes from one of the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Uh, When a brother came to Abba, uh, Macarius, uh, in in the year 300s, and uh, actually, Macarius was a very famous desert father. And uh, this brother came apparently on a weekend or for a week or whatever. And he said, Abba, uh, give me a word that I might be saved or that I might be holy. And the old man said, well, go to the cemetery uh, and abuse the dead uh, 
and uh, overnight. And the brother went there and he abused them. He threw stones at them. He insulted the, uh, the cemetery stones. And then he returned to the old man and he told him about it. And Macarius said to him, well, did they say anything to you? And he replied, no. Then the old man said, now go back, Macarius said, go back tomorrow and and now praise them. Tell them all the great things they're doing and uh, they've done in their life and the wonders and they were tremendous saints and apostles and they had phenomenal reputations. They accomplished great things on earth and just praise them uh, through the day and the night. And then he came back and returned to the old man, Macarius, and he said to him, well, I've, I've done it. I complimented them. Uh, and the old man said to them, well, did they answer you? And the brother said, no. And then Macarius said to him, you know how you insulted them and they did not reply and how you praised them and they did not speak. So you too, if you wish to be saved or wish to be a holy man, you must do the same and become a dead man. Like the dead, take no account of either the scorn of people or of their praises and then you will be holy. Now, in other words, you'll know what to ignore and what to love. In other words, the highest worth in in the city in those days was, uh, just like it is today, a careful cultivation of your reputation, of what you own and your power and what people thought of you. But in the desert, uh, now this this young man who came to Macarius wanted to do it in a weekend or a week. Uh, but apathia is learning not to care about what's unimportant. Uh, so you actually could begin to care about what's really important. Now, that's the life we want to be living. Uh, we need to live. Uh, getting to a place of deep freedom, of being anchored and rooted so in God that the peace of God is so deep in us that we have learned a, a holy indifference. That is an apathia, an, an indifference to things that are just not important. Uh, and we learn to love uh, that is knowing people's names. We see people and uh, we actually become like dead men and women, at least to the values and measurements of things like success in the world. Now, we play success. Or we, we base it on evidence-based outcomes. Does it work? Is it producing numbers? Are we growing? And here we are. We hit within a pandemic and it just throws so much of church life uh, for so many of us in, in turmoil. Uh, so much has shifted the ground beneath us. But the problem is when we salivate for worldly success, it so often keeps us from being faithful to actually seeing God and actually seeing the people right in front of us that we're supposedly serving. And we end up sidestepping the difficult things, and we actually end up abandoning uh, the slow work of God because God's work is slow. And we end up avoiding things that are disagreeable or things that appear less likely to ever go very far. Uh, and yet God calls us to to make disciples, to build community, to serve, to lead, uh, and to surrender our need for any kind of worldly results or outcomes, external markers. That's all God's business. But the desert fathers and mothers, they, they believed that the three greatest enemies of the inner journey uh, with God were one hurry, two crowds, and three noise. I'll say it again because they're, they're the same uh, great enemies that we face today, 1,700 years later, uh, that are enemies for our own journey with God. That is hurrying, crowds, and noise. 
And the reason this is so important is so we can hear the whispers of God, and the desert fathers and mothers knew that. And so this first invitation in these uh, tumultuous days in which so much is shifting beneath our feet uh, is that we get a sense of calling, a, a sense of identity, a deep identity, much like the desert fathers and mothers, and that is that we have gone on a journey to get to God. And in that process, we are dying, becoming dead people, at least to the values and markers of success, uh, reputation that the world carries, uh, to insults, to praise, uh, and we are in God and in a place of peace and life. Uh, In fact, I remember when I first went to uh, my first visit to a, a monastery, uh, and this is now wow, almost 20 years ago, and this, and began to really dig into the desert fathers and mothers, I realized this is the great call, or literally for me, uh, and for us as pastors and leaders and active missional churches in our day, and that is that we flee the world's values and we flee the Western Americanized church values and find a desert to get to God uh, in terms of silence, stillness, etc., so that we can actually get cleansed of the idols uh, in our own heart and really see them clearly in the church and the world around us and serve people. And I, I, I believe in these days that is more important than er- ever that you hear this first invitation to become a dead man, a dead woman, uh, and you f- and you flee. You, 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 you flee to the desert. And by desert, I mean getting to God, uh, whether it be a chair, whether it's a room, but you begin to cultivate some rhythms. Uh, you redo your whole job description of what, what your role as a leader, as a pastor, as whatever your role might be. And that is to mature as a disciple of Jesus, to, to, to be with him, to get to the desert, develop a deep inner life with him out of which you serve. So things like Sabbath and offices and rules of life, your, your whole life is one of, of becoming a dead person, which requires that we structure our lives differently. Just a little note here. They say there was, a, there was about 107 desert fathers, uh, and as far as we know, eight to nine desert mothers. And I would encourage you to pick up uh, uh, the books that, that lay out, for example, The Sayings of the Desert Fathers by Benedicta Ward, really worth getting. Uh, and then The Forgotten Desert Mothers by Laura Swan is also an excellent book uh, to expose you to the desert mothers. I mean, there's some sayings of the desert mothers in uh, Benedict Ward's book, but they are worth picking up and spending some time meditating on some of those, the wise sayings from them. Listen, we're not called to be CEOs. We're called to be men and women of God. That's our great gift we offer the world. Uh, we're, we're more spiritual directors. We, we, we point people to, to Jesus. Uh, and think about a good spiritual director. They, they, they help people discern. Uh, they're good listeners. They don't talk too much. Not, not, they're not full of themselves. Uh, we want to be people who are not full of ourselves because we've died to the world and we know loss and we're familiar with the depths of contemplative silence. So this first invitation to become like a dead person requires in particular engaging in stillness and silence. I'm talking about silence in an island of words. I mean, I'm, I'm talking a lot of words here. Uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to have us take 60 seconds for silence of being still before the Lord. But silence and stillness is not doing nothing. 
we're actually sitting on the Father's lap like a little child, and we're learning to trust, uh, learning to love him more deeply. A lot's happening in stillness and silence. Uh, as has been said, the more we receive in silent prayer of the love of the Father, the more we can actually give to the world. And when we're in silence, we actually can hear the or see more clearly all the news coming at us uh, from so many different sources. Uh, and we can actually see through it all and, and realize, oh, there's another perspective in all this. That's God. Uh, he sees it differently. We actually slow down in silence and stillness so we can catch up to God. It's a nice saying. Uh, we relax, we detach, we listen to him. You know, and uh, so let's let's take a, I want to do this right now before I go any further. There's been a lot of words so far. Uh, I recommend uh, to leaders, and I recommend to you, that you consider taking 20 minutes a day uh, for silence and stillness, uh, being still before the Lord in his presence in communion with him. Uh, and again, whether it's a chair for me, I have my chair right here and I look outside the window uh, to my tree. Uh, that's my, I have a chair right over there, like a few feet away from me. Uh, but right now I want to just take 60 seconds uh, and uh, let's be still and silent before the Lord. And there'll be a, a bell that will start us and a bell that will end us. And again, whether you're, if you're driving or you're, uh, you know, walking fine, just take this time to just be still before him. Please don't close your eyes if you're driving, of course. Uh, but let's be still before the Lord uh, and know him. Yeah, that was great. Uh, in the Emotionally Healthy uh, Discipleship book, the core of that book is is found uh, in about six pages in a chapter called Follow the Crucified, Not the Americanized Jesus. And I talk about relaxing in Jesus, detaching from all external things except for Jesus, and listening to Jesus. Uh, let me invite you to, in a very contemplative way to Check that out. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship, and uh, you'll see some a free workbook, uh, some free videos, uh, and that they'll serve you in your journey to becoming like a dead person, uh, at least to the world and alive to him. But let's move now to the second invitation. The first one is to become like a dead person. I go on a journey so you might really live for God. The second invitation is to stay at your post. Stay at your post. And this is going to come out of the book of Revelation. 
Now, the book of Revelation is, is such an important book. Um, in fact, I don't know if you're aware, but it's the most quoted book, New Testament book by the early church fathers for the first, uh, first to the fourth centuries, the first 300 years. Imagine this, the most quoted book in the New Testament was the book of Revelation. It was that important because they so often had the ground shifting under their feet. And the letter of Revelation was meant to be read, it was written to be read during these worship services. Uh, of these seven churches uh, in Asia. And it was very much addressing a concrete historical situation of Christians uh, living in the Roman province of Asia uh, during the reign, probably, of Nero, uh, where it seemed like there was so much suffering, the wicked were prospering, evil appeared to be winning. And and John the Apostle writes this incredible book, uh, and it's apocalyptic literature. He creates the symbolic uh, world uh, and, and vision filled with images that they would have been familiar with in that day, because apocalyptic literature was a common form of writing, uh, especially among, you know, in religious circles. Uh, and uh, so the Roman Empire is referred to repeatedly as the beast. And uh, in the Roman Empire, Caesar uh, was the one who was considered God and Savior and Lord, who offered deliverance and allegiance, offered security and peace and uh, comfort and convenience, all the Roman Empire stood for. And John the Apostle just unmasks it, uh, all the pretentiousness of that, and um, refers to all the kings of the earth have have committed adultery with Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great is the Roman Empire. Uh, fill, they're intoxicated with her adulteries and, and like a drunken stupor. And John basically says, they're all illusions. Uh, and so he calls these seven churches in Asia Minor, like he calls us today, uh, who are under intense pressure from this beast. And behind the beast, he paints this picture of satanic powers in the form of a dragon who are incarnate in the in Babylon, in, in the Roman Empire, with all their propaganda and prosperity. And he calls them to not be absorbed by the beast, um, but rather to be patiently enduring and faithful to Jesus. And, and actually, this book was, was written to, as he invites them to stay at their post, which I'll explain in just a moment. Stay with me here. It, it, this, this book is a pastoral book to uh, encourage people who are suffering, who are under intense pressure. The word is thalipsis. You'll find that word repeatedly uh, in Revelation. Actually, mega thalipsis, mega pressure, uh, which which we are under today, uh, very much so. Uh, a German Lutheran pastor wrote a commentary on Revelation in a concentration camp during World War II. Uh, and he wrote this commentator, and, and, and he wrote this uh, in his commentary, his introduction. He goes, people who have, who have not suffered often play with the imagery of revelation. But people who suffer never play with the imagery or play games with this book. Now, today, I want to invite you to hear one central message in the book of Revelation, which I believe is our invitation to today, which is stay at your post um, and I want to give you a vision from God, from Revelation, of a powerful, long view of what God's doing here in history. Uh, as Jesus you know, says, come, we're to pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. This great wedding feast picture is given here that we're going to experience God's presence and intensity uh, as never before when we see him face to face. There's going to be an unveiled presence of God in Revelation 19, 20, 21, 22 is this great wedding feast of the Lamb that's going to come. We're going to see God in all of his blazing holiness. 
Every tear will be wiped away, every sadness, every grief. We will swim in an ocean of eternal love. We'll get swallowed up by that ocean. We're going to hear music uh, 500 times more beautiful than the greatest music you've ever heard and experience a joy you know, 10,000 times greater than any earthly joy we've ever experienced. Uh, as C.S. Lewis once wrote, our physical pleasures multiply that by a million times, and that'll be the beginning of the pleasure of what it'll be like to be in the presence of God. And that's why Revelation 22 says, they will see his face, we'll actually see his face. And Revelation invites us to live from the future. That's the message of Revelation. We don't live for the future. We live from the future. In other words, we live in the present in light of what's coming. And Bonhoeffer uh, wrote about this. He, he was a pastor in Germany who was executed, as many of you know, by Hitler in April of 1945. And the whole of the world was occupied, uh, he talked about, by the terror of Nazism. And he had a comfortable life uh, in the United States as a professor. But he went back to Germany to join the resistance against Hitler, and he was eventually hung. But he wrote that I will not live my life as if there's a uh, a different future. I will be at my post. Uh, and he let he said, I'm going to live not for the future, but from the future. And that meant being at his post. And he was picking up on that theme of First Thessalonians when uh, when Paul wrote about the second coming of Christ, that there were some people who were so expecting the return of Jesus that they stopped working. Uh, they were not at their post. And Jesus said, no, and Paul wrote, gonna, Jesus is going to come like a thief of the night. Don't be idle. Don't be A-W-O-L, absent without leave. Don't be a deserter. Don't be a quitter. Be at your post. Uh, and that's the word he uses in First Thessalonians. Uh, don't be away from your post or the work that Jesus has given you to do. Stay with him in this turbulent time. Live from the future. Uh, much like an, a person who wants to become an Olympian works, you know, does works out, right? Eats and works out and sleeps and, you know, a certain way to be an Olympian works from the future. Or you want to be a doctor or a professional, any field you want to get into, you you study and you work backwards. Or a soldier, you're going to be a soldier in the army, you you go to boot camp, and but you order your life in light of that future. So to be at your post uh, is one of the most important things we can do in turbulent times like today. Uh, we live because of a, of a, of a certain future, a great future that's before us. In other words, because of the, my certain future, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a great wedding feast of the land that's going to come. Uh, there'll be no more curse, no more crying, no more tears. We'll see his face. I will be faithful to serve, to love, to make disciples, to, to lead, to engage my rhythms, to deepen in Jesus. Um, listen, you're young. Uh most of you listening to me are in your 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, maybe 50s, 60s. Uh, but your best years of your life are your 60s and 70s, uh, most fruitful years of your life. It's been rightly said by uh, Bobby Clinton in his great work, The Making of a Leader, that the first 15 to 20 years that you are in uh, leadership or vocational ministry, uh, you think you're accomplishing a lot, but really you're not doing much at all. It's mostly God working in you. But it takes decades for the work of God to actually flow through you in power. Uh, so you want to get a large picture, a long picture, first of your life. This uh, The season of turbulent times in which we're living, where the ground keeps shifting beneath our feet, we are in a season. Um, but God is doing a work in you, and you want to be at your post 
now, not worrying about the externals happening around you. Uh, I think of Abraham in Romans 4, which has been part of my uh, study and my own morning prayer over the last few months. Uh, you know, o- Abraham is called the father of nations, the father of us all. He is our father. He is our new genogram. Uh, and he, he had good reasons not to believe, not to trust uh, his age. Uh, he didn't have, didn't have one child. Uh, his wife was in, he was in his 90s. She was in her 80s. Uh, the realities of his life said, there's no hope here. But it says here, he's, he, 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 believe, he against all hope, Abraham and hope, he believed and became the father of many nations. Uh, he, had, in defiance of all human calculations, he had this simple trust and hope in God and his word that was true. And he was being stripped of so much uh, through his life, even through age 120 when he's asked to sacrifice Isaac. But he stayed at his post, even though externally it didn't look like much. Uh, but he is the father of us all, and his path is our pathway. And because of my certain future, because of your certain future, uh, you can stay at your post. I will. Therefore, we don't just take make decisions. Uh, I don't take the job with the most money or the comfort or perk or power or achievement. I don't take quick fixes. Um, but I actually orient my life to God's slow work towards the marginalized, to, to, to serving him faithfully. And because of my certain future and uh, my commitment to be at my post, uh, I will not be defensive and tough and put up a self-protective uh, veneer, but I'll allow myself to be vulnerable and, and weak and uncertain. Uh, because of my certain future, I'm going to be at my post I'm not going to fit God in when it's convenient. I'm going to structure my whole life uh, to be like the desert fathers and mothers, becoming dead to the world. Because of my certain future and my commitment to be at my post, I'm not going to avoid the painful issues in my life that may be difficult and deep. But I'm, going to, I'm going to follow Jesus into, into those issues uh, and die and live with him. Uh, because of my certain future and my commitment to be at my post, I'm uh, when I'm hurt, I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to bury it. I'm going to ask God for grace to forgive, to to change me. Uh, and because of my certain future, I'm going to be at my post and not just do what I, I can know I can handle in terms of out of fear. Uh, I'm going to be willing to go with God on new adventures into the unknown and risk serving with my talents and gifts and teaching. And uh, and I'm not going to go A-W-O-L. Uh, I want to be at my post. I love what Martin Luther said. He goes, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know who controls the future. And what we learn about Jesus in the book of Revelation is that he is the king of kings. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the A and the Z and all the letters in between. That God's the first word in creation of the universe, and he is the last word at the end of history and all the in between. And even when the chaos and storms of life are raging, God is completely in control. He's referred to in Revelation nine times as the Almighty. God the Almighty, the supreme over all things. And the phrase there is he in Greek is he has everything in his grip. And it's meant to encourage us and support us to stay at our posts. Uh, and even though outward appearances may seem like it's all a setback for God's work. It's not. To remember Jesus who sits on the throne, uh, who cannot be frustrated by any power in heaven, hell, or earth. 
Uh, and so we're, fret, we're set free from panic. Uh, the newspapers and uh, the articles we read about in social media, they're all about panic. Uh, but God's in full control. There, there's nothing haphazard. And so my two invitations to you and today are to become like a dead man or a dead woman. And again, that famous story of Macarius, uh, it's a great one for us that we can relax, we can listen, we can let go and detach and uh, die to the things of this world, not worry about the external results. But we want to secondly stay at our posts, uh, not grow weary or discouraged. God is doing a actually a great thing as always, but you've got to have a long perspective in it. And you will look back in 10, 20, 30 40, 50 years, God, God gives you a life and saying, boy, that season of that pandemic was a gift. But the book of Revelation reminds us there's a very real, active, evil, mega enemy with one mission, and that is to lead you astray and cut you off from following Jesus. Um, but God allows sometimes warfare for our good. Uh, he is on the throne. And uh, we will look back differently, I believe, very much as a gift in this time. But the pathway, as Paul writes about in Romans 5, after reflecting on, on Abraham's life, he goes, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, and we glory in our sufferings, our thalipsis, our, our, our pressure, because we know that suffering, or thalipsis, pressure, produces perseverance. That is, we move from being raw recruits in an army to veterans. Perseverance produces character, mature character, and mature character, hope, that is certainty about the future. But the pathway to get to this kind of perseverance, mature character, and having this certainty of hope about the long-term future, Paul says the pathway to get there is through thalipsis, sufferings and trials. So let's be at our posts. Let's deepen our relationship with him above all else. Let's flee the world's values and the world values that so often dominate the Western church, let's get cleansed of those idols and let's get to God and be dead to things that belong to the world and be at our post and be alive to him. So again, let me invite you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship uh, and maybe do a slow work through that Emotionally Healthy Discipleship uh, workbook and book to kind of let it meditate and go into you. And I'd like to, I'd like to end this podcast with a... Um, with 60 seconds of silence again. Uh, and I'll, 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 again, I want to invite you to, wherever you are right now, maybe close your eyes, or if not, just let just take the 60 seconds of silence and I'll lead us, we'll, we'll do the, um, uh, a bell to begin and a bell to end. And I'll end the podcast with an amen, okay? So with that, let's begin to be still before the Lord.
Amen. God bless everybody. Have a wonderful day.